But we're, we're closing 1 Peter chapter 5 uh, and Peter's last couple of words. And so often the salutations at the ends of these letters that are in the scriptures get ignored um, because it's just people's names. And we say, okay, great, wonderful, fantastic. Um, but the extraordinary thing, there's some extraordinary things contained in just the last couple of verses of this book. And if you're visiting with us, there's Bibles in the racks in front of you. You're welcome to, to grab one, open it up, page numbers in the bulletin. If you don't have a Bible, you're welcome to take that Bible home with you. Um, we, we buy them specifically for that purpose so that they can go home with folks. But 1 Peter chapter 5, and just the last two verses, 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 12 through 14. By Silvanus, a faithful brother as I regard him, I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. She who is at Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings. And so does Mark, my son. Greet one another with the kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. Now join me in a word of prayer. Father, once again we come to this, this book, these words, these ideas, these thoughts, conveyed to us through the Holy Spirit. Lord, we ask that we would hear your voice on the wind of his presence and that we might be transformed more and more to be more like Christ who is revealed to us. Lord, as we look to these closing words of Peter, one of the few that were chosen by hand by Jesus, your son, help us to hear his voice and in hearing him, to hear what you were doing in his life and what you desire to do in ours. In Jesus' name. Pray this, amen. Just a simple closing, right? Just a simple couple of words that he says. But, I, but there's so much that's packed into this about the church. And a lot of it is, I, I think, um, we, we have this, um, that's the best way to put this. Uh, there are things that are very, very easy to understand mechanically. We can put them in straight lines. We can put them in outlines. We can organize them. We can program computers to do them. All right? um, but there's something about human relationships that doesn't fit into that category. You know what I mean? Like You, you ever met somebody that you should have gotten along with? They had the same interests, the same everything that you had, and yet you couldn't stand them? All right? Probably because they were too much like you. That's been my problem in that situation. Um, but, uh, but often, there's just something about human relationships that we, we sometimes it's hard for us to, to grab what exactly it is, uh, kind of fuzzy spiritual stuff. You know, and, and, and I want to talk this morning about friendship. Specifically, uh, and I don't often give titles to my sermons, but this, this one is something that's very dear to my heart, and so I have a title for it. All right, and the title is A Church of Friends. A Church of Friends. How many of you have ever visited a church and on their bulletin they said, we're a friendly church? 
Have you ever, you ever seen that slogan? Now, there's nothing wrong with being friendly, right? I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with being friendly. But if you've ever been to a church where it said, we're a friendly church, and then no one talked to you, you, you notice that their definition of friendly and your definition of friendly are very different things. Um, one of the things that we talked about, we talk about an awful lot is relationships here at Bedford Road. It's one of the reasons, if you don't know this, is one of the reasons why I don't stand behind a podium. Uh, one of the primary reasons is I'm short and I disappear behind most of them. But the, but the, second, the second reason and primary reason is I don't want barriers between you and me. I want to be your friend. I want you to be my friend. That's one of the reasons why I don't insist people call me Pastor DeVitro. I mean, in a couple years, somewhere down the line, I'm going to have a doctorate, and then everybody's going to want to say, Dr. DeVitro, and I'm going to go, don't you know it's Reverend Doctor? (laughs) Get it right! Most Reverend Doctor. No, Um, I, I like being called Eric. That's what my mom and dad put on my birth certificate, I figured it was a pretty good label, and I go with that. Um, I'm okay with that. It's E-R-I-C backspace K. That's how it's spelled. <laughs> All right? Um, and, uh, but we want to be a church of friends. We don't want barriers between us and people. I love this, and, and I'm going to get in trouble no matter how I say this, but I love the fact that people in our congregation who consider me their friend are not afraid to tell me why they weren't in church on Sunday. You say, is that permission to not be in church on Sunday? No. But people have no problem saying to me, look man, I was exhausted, or I was camping, or I was out, I was out doing something, and, and I missed being there. I wanted to be there, but, but this is what's going on. You realize how rare that is? That people feel okay communicating to a pastor that they weren't there? Because usually, you know... What I was raised in, it was you were at the church every time the doors were open, and you had to be there regardless. He's not here, but um, Mike Eaton is one of one of my all-time favorite knuckleheads. Um, and 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 Mike, one time, I'll never forget, he got off of a a 24-hour shift. Mike is a prison guard. He got off of a 24-hour shift, and if you if you know Mike, um, he lives in Berlin now. But but if you know Mike, he used to carry around a 64-ounce coffee cup. All right, and it was coffee. It wasn't. It wasn't something else. It was a coffee cup, and he drank coffee like like most people breathe. And he came in and had his coffee cup, and Mike's eyes were drooping and his pale, and his hair was frazzled. And he comes in with his coffee, you know, and he says, and he looks at me. He goes, "I'm here. I'm here." And I'm not kidding. One verse into the first song, Mike was asleep, <laughs> snoring. Janet's nudging him, you know, and I, and I said to him, Mike, it's okay to not, you don't have to be here every minute. It's all right. That's why we record the messages. Um, that's why we'd love to get video up, not so we can reach a global environment, but just so when you're not here, you can still be a part of this because we're friends. We're friends. And I think that is how Jesus treated his disciples. He viewed them as his friends. Remember that passage? He said, you're not servant. You're my friends. I've told you everything there is. I've left it all out there. You're my friends. And I think we see this in Peter in these last couple of verses. Peter has been all over the map 
in First Peter. He, he has the illustration we use. He's got a bag of marbles, and he dumps them on the, on the table, and they're rolling all over the place, and he's chasing them, trying to explain all this great stuff that he's learned about Christ in the church. But he gets to the very end, and he just he wants us to know about his friends. The first friend that he mentions is Silvanus. Um, now, this is the same guy. This is a Latin version of the name Silas. And Silas was the Apostle Paul's traveling companion for many years. Um, this tells us that probably 1 Peter is written after Paul is martyred. And, and Silas is now working with Peter. Um, and, so, and they probably went to Rome. Uh, Silas went to Rome with Paul, and Paul was imprisoned, and he was on his way to martyrdom. And, and so Peter, um, Silas then attaches himself to Peter. We're not exactly sure. The, the phrase by Silvanus means that uh, he was... Um, he wrote. He he actually wrote the letter. Um, he either wrote the the letter for Peter, which is possible because Peter is old at this point, um, and his eyesight may be going. In, in fact, and this sounds really weird, but but Peter may not have been able to write. He might have been able to read, but he might not have been able to write. It, it it's possible because of his his upbringing. Not likely, but possible. But um, Sylvanus is uh, either the scribe that writes this letter, or he's the messenger that carries the letter. So he could be one of, the, one of those two things. But he, this is Paul's friend Silas, and you can read about him in the book of Acts and everything that he, he did with Paul. I mean, he's seen extraordinary things. And look at what he says about Silas, about Silvanus, and this is great. He says, a faithful brother as I regard him. I choose to call him my brother. I choose the relationships that I enter into. You know, sometimes uh, we, we get into a situation and we kind of sit around and wait for friendships to drop into our laps. Um, I am not well known for being a party person. Uh, I don't like crowds. Um, I don't like people touching me. Um, I have a lot of, I, it's not a phobia, I just don't, I just don't like it. All right. Um, I don't like people being behind me. I have a tendency to keep my back to the wall, um, although I'm, I'm working on that one. Um, and when my wife and I first got married, I was the world's worst party goer. Um, I would go to a party, I would find a place to sit, and I'm not kidding, I would bring books. And I, would, I had no interest whatsoever in engaging with conversation with these people. I just, I don't know you, I don't want to know you, you go about your party, and I'm, my wife, she smiles, she's happy, she's greeting everybody, Nicole knows everybody's name, she's, she's a very outgoing person, I'm not, at home, I, I, I go days without talking, I'm, I'm not an extrovert by nature, I've learned to do it, but I'm, I'm, I'm not like that, well, over time, I became convicted about that behavior, natural or not, because the reality is, if I'm in a, a, a situation where there are other people, these are people that not only matter to other people, but they matter to Christ. And so I want to get to know those people. And so I started to acquire the skills necessary in order to open conversations. Now, this is hard for me because I tend to dominate conversations. I, I tend to walk into a situation, somebody brings something up, and I have all of this information sorted in my brain of, oh, I can talk about that for hours. Let's talk about that. And then people are like, I'm going to go get punched and never come back. <laughs> and so I'm infamous at parties, and, and, uh, and people know this. If I come to your house, I will make statements like, if you need me to stop talking, tell me. 
right? Because that, that's my personality. It's the way I am. I'm trying to get better at it. I talk for a living. That's what I do. Um, but uh, anyway, I started to develop the ability to connect with people. And one of the things, the extraordinary things that happened when I started to desire to connect to people outside of my little circle is my, my circle of friends began to expand. And people started to um, actually call and text me rather than me hunting people down. And I was able to develop some great friendships. Uh, and I have some extraordinary friendships, both with believers and unbelievers, um, that, that connect at a very, uh, a very deep personal level. Because I said, you know what? Um, I made this choice. And I'm not using me as the paragon of perfection on relationships in any way, shape, or form. Um, but I realized that what I needed to do if I wanted to have friends was I had to choose to make people my friends. And I had to accept them for who they were rather than expecting them to be what I want them to be. This is a core foundational discipline for all relationships. Is that somebody is not a person, your husband, your wife, your kids, they are not what you want them to be. They simply are what they are and you need to accept them that way. It doesn't mean you leave them that way, but you, you accept them that way. Um, and rather than finding the things you don't agree with as annoying... Um, especially with kids, learn to use that to make it a learning environment and how we, we, we grow and mature in our relationships. But he chooses Sylvanus. He chooses Silas to be his brother. He says, as I regard him. He says, I chose to make him my brother. I chose to enter into ministry with him. I associated with him voluntarily. And so often in the church, uh, we... we we close our, our borders, we turn our shoulders away from the door, we have our, our group and we lock into our group and it's very difficult in any social environment, not just in church, it's, it's very difficult for us to, excuse me, continue to open the doors and expand and choose to be friends with other people. You know the extraordinary thing that happens when you, you make that choice is you discover that other people have skills you don't have. And other people can do things ways that you can't do them. And other people think differently than you, and sometimes that's a good thing. Uh, my, my fellow Eric, both of us play guitar. We play guitar completely different. Now, sometimes it comes out sounding relatively the same, but we, he plays an electric guitar. If you've ever heard me play an electric guitar, it's not a good thing. All right? Uh, I am a finger picker, and finger pickers, unless it's uh, dire straits, finger pickers should not play the guitar. All right, we 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 should stick to acoustics, and never we just stick to acoustics and not electrics. That's all. We just we got to know where we're comfortable, Trish. <laughs> we, um, but Eric plays a different style of guitar. Eric is an engineer, so he is everything is in order. Yeah, the Wittenberg. He says this and this and this and this, and this is the way that it goes. I am a, a disorganized, chaotic jumble of thought. And so I walk up to a song, he looks up to a song, and Eric and I, we, we always look at it. He looks at a song, he goes, all right, this verse, this verse, this verse, this is how we're going to do the song. I tend to walk up to a song and go, we're just going to sing it. However it goes. And, and those of you that play with me, I mean, Matt Jandak is our, is our drummer. He knows to watch me because half the time I'm not looking at the sheet music and I don't know where I'm going. I'm going to bridge to some other part and Doug or Tom in the back is pushing the button to try to find the lyrics. We're just different people. But you know what's extraordinary is, is those relationships make, make all of us better. And, and Peter understood that about Sylvanus. He understood that about Silas. He said, I chose to make him my brother. 
I chose to accept him. Now this is an extraordinary statement, I think, also from the Apostle Peter, because remember, his brother and his cousins were all martyred. They were all killed. Right? His, his brother Andrew and his cousins, who were also, uh, who were also disciples of Jesus, they're all, they all martyred by now. They're all gone. And so for him to choose a new brother, it meant that he was open to relationships. How many of you have ever gotten to a point where, where, where you had a best friend or whatever and, and, or a connection with somebody and that person moved away or they went through a life transition and suddenly, um, suddenly you weren't as close as you used to be and you find yourself kind of going, I, I need somebody else. Uh, and, you know, I have my, my best friend through, through college and my best man at my wedding and everything at one point, we just kind of drifted apart and, and, then, and my wife and I were talking about how I wasn't really getting out and I get really... I get really, I, I, have, I have lots of friends and then I have a very, very small group of, of intense friendships. And those intense friendships, um, they're really hard to build and you, you have to be willing to accept a, a lot of, of, of plaque in those relationships. And at one point my wife could tell that, that I was frustrated because I, I didn't really have that and I needed that. Um, the kind of friend that you can sit in a room and not say anything to each other for hours on end, that kind of a friend. You know, you know the kind of friend I'm talking about. And um, and and my wife said, you know, you're really you're really starved out. How many of you have ever been through that? You've been through that kind of transition where you, you, there's just a hole where a person used to be, and you sit there and you have to make a decision, right? You have to make a choice. I'm gonna keep my relation. I'm gonna keep myself open for another relationship to come in. I'm gonna make a decision for another friend to come in. Let me tell you, as a pastor, just on a personal level. It is, it, it's, it's very hard when, for me when people leave our congregation because they're my friends. It, and I don't take it as a personal insult or anything. It's not like I walk around moping, oh, so, 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 so sad. But there's a hole where that person was because they were a part of my life. They were a part of my relationships. They're engaged, in, and, and I want people to be at that level. And Peter looks at this guy, Sylvanus, and he says, this is my friend. And often we modern Americans, and this transitions into our second part, we make our friendships based on what I get out of the relationship. Um, I, 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 I personally, this is again, me personally, this is not scripture. I like having friends who are not afraid to tell me that I could be better at what I'm doing. Not, not, I'm not saying a friend who's constantly browbeating you. Somebody who's constantly beating you up, all right, that's abuse. That's not a friendship. Somebody who's emotionally or always knocking you down and always criticizing you, that's, that's not a friendship. Um, that's, that's criticism. But somebody who's willing to challenge you to be better at what they, because they know you're capable of more, that's the kind of brothers and sisters we need. The, the scriptures speak about forsaking not the assembling together of yourselves. He said, and, and in the book of Hebrews, and it says, because we can spur one another on to good works. We can challenge one another to rise to the next level, to the next uh, point of our capacity. And you know what? If the only determiner of your ability is your own opinion, you will not rise. Because eventually you'll go, I'm fantastic at this. I am the best person at this I have ever seen. I never need to, another lesson or another thought or another idea. We need people to encourage us on, right? And that's friendship. And I think that's what Sylvanus Silas was for 
Paul, and I think he's that for Peter as well. And Peter chooses him to be his brother. So the, the first big thing about being a church, of, a church of friends is that we have to choose to be brothers and sisters. We choose that relationship. It doesn't, we don't sit around waiting for somebody to come to us and tell us that they want to be their friend. We have to choose to be friends. And you know what the reality is? God brought all of us here for a reason at a point. And so we should be able to be friends with one another as a body, even if we don't necessarily, uh, you know, always get along and, and, and those kind of things. I mean, those people who talk about cars, they, they, they might as well be speaking in a language I don't speak. Um, people who like hockey, no offense, all right? I, I, I enjoy hockey at the end of the season if the Bruins are in. Otherwise, couldn't care less. Um, baseball, fishing, all right? Fishing is just an excuse for doing nothing. I, I haven't figured out what exactly fishing is about. I was like, did, I, I've never been with people that, that caught anything of significance when they went fishing, and yet they do it over and over and over again. I just don't, I, I'm not a big fishing person. It doesn't mean that it doesn't have value. Just for me, I'm like, oh, and I have friends who are talking about using Tom Hathcote will do this. He's talking about all these different lures. He's talking with his fishing friends about, well, have you tried this, the whirling snapper jiggity-wig or the 14-ounce the this or, or put it on a new reel? They're, they're all, that's not a real name, just so you know. Um, although there is a lure called a hula popper. There, that is an actual name. Um, but I, now I'll go, I go, I, I row for my fishing friends. Right? Like we'll get on a canoe. I'm serious. We're, we're in a men's retreat. And I said, well, I'll row. I mean, it, we're, we're out there and we're fishing. I, I got the oar in my hand. And I was like, a, I was like the outboard motor for, for my friend Dave. He's like, he's like, get me up over that log. Okay. Backwater, back, back, back. That's what I did for like four hours. Well, he, and if you've ever met Dave Wellman, he is the fish whisperer. All right, this, this, man, this man catches fish when no one else is catching fish. People are like, uh, I just caught you know, a couple of little fish. And Dave's like, yeah, I caught this one. In fact, I need two people to pick it up. I mean, that, so I just, just row the boat for him. That's what I do. I'm okay with it. I don't understand it. I mean, I went out fishing with Matt Birch, who's not here. I stuck him with the lure multiple times until I finally just, I said, you know what, Matt, I'm just going to sit here and, and be your friend because I can't do that, All right, the wristy thing. All right, I, I just can't do it. We have different things that we identify with that doesn't make us right, wrong, or indifferent. We just need to choose to be friends. Choose to find a way to be brothers and sisters. And this is an extraordinary foundation for relationships. And the Apostle Peter, he chose Sylvanus as his brother. He says, a faithful brother as I regard him. And then secondly, um, in verse 13, he says, she who is at Babylon, that, that's the church in Rome. That's how Jews in this period referred to Rome. They referred to it as Babylon. Babylon itself was, owned, was run by the Persians. The city of Babylon was dominated by the, the Persians at the time. And Babylon was a, a code word for Rome. That's how they described Rome. Um, and so the church that is at Babylon, he says, or a church that is in Rome, who is likewise chosen. This is the only way, place in, in the, the, uh, the, um, the entire Greek New Testament this one word, sineklektos, is, is found. Chosen together. Uh, and it conveys to us an understanding of what it means to be Christians. Uh, we tend to think that our Christianity is defined by God looking down and going, uh, I want that one, and that one, and that one, all right? Um, but I don't want that one, and I don't want that one, and 
you know, all the, and this is the doctrine of election. People get into all kinds of big arguments about this. Um, to the Apostle Peter, we were all chosen together. We're a set. We're a set. We're chosen together. When God brought you to be a part of Bedford Road Baptist Church, it was because he had always intended you to be a part of Bedford Road Baptist Church. And if God takes you away from Bedford Road Baptist Church for legitimate reasons, right? and that's a whole other argument and discussion together, what is a legitimate reason to leave a congregation? We can talk about that later. Um, but if he brings you to that point, all right, if you, you, you leave, then God intended for you to be there for that time and then to move on. And that's okay. This is, we refer to this in our congregation as, as living open-handed. We don't try to force people to stay. I've been in churches where people, where the pastor has hounded people who told them that he was, they were going to leave. Why are you leaving? Where are you going? What are you doing? And very, very forceful about you belong here because this is God's church. Well, we are God's church, but so are so many other congregations. And sometimes God moves us, and that's okay. But we are chosen together and this time and place to do something extraordinary in the kingdom. And because we choose to be brothers and sisters, we become a part of something God has chosen to be together. And that's an extraordinary miracle. When you look around this room, those of you that have been around here for a while, would you have voluntarily chosen to associate with many of the people that you have met in our congregation? I mean, let's just be honest. Some of, some of you are white-collar executives. Others of you use soap that, no one, that is reserved only for certain professions to clean your hands at the end of the day. There's a very extraordinary... They're politicians. No, um, the... <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't resist. That was that was what I was. But um, we, when we look at the incredible diversity of the relationships that God brings into our into our lives and into our churches, it's extraordinary to think that God chose us together. So we choose brothers and sisters, but we also acknowledge that God chose us together. God didn't choose us individually. Me, 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 me. I, 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 and smashed a bunch of me's and eyes together. Um, he formed an us. He formed a we. He chose us. I had to make sure I chose the right case there. He chose us to be together. And that is an extraordinary, extraordinary thought for us to consider as we explore our relationships. Third point here. He who is at Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends you greeting, and so does Mark, my son. Now this is Mark. This is the guy that wrote the Gospel of Mark. His name is John Mark. And he also was an associate of the Apostle Paul, but he was very young at the time. Um, and his uncle Barnabas eventually took him under his wing and trained him, and you can read all about that in the book of Acts. So there's, but there's a third, there's this third element of the church, um, these relationships that I think is revealed there, uh, and and it's it's kind of implicit, but it's important. Not only do we choose to be brothers and sisters, not only are we chosen together, 
But that bond is not restricted by generation, geography, uh, or condition, or personality. That, that bond, that relationship of believers is not, is not restricted by generation. Um, I've shared this before, but I read a book one time, a church growth book, where the, the, the pastor did a humble brag. You know what a humble brag is? That's where you say something that you're really proud of, but you say it in such a way that it sounds like you're not proud of it. And his humble brag was that 75% of his church was unmarried and under the age of 30. Isn't this extraordinary? The vast majority of our church is unmarried and under the age of 30. This is great. This is wonderful. I remember what I was like unmarried and under the age of 30. And I'll tell you what. I could have really used some people with maturity around me. Kind of terrifies me, to be perfectly honest, that so much of the American church is obsessed with youth culture. We want to turn the church into a big whiz bang show, so that so that it's basically a churchy cheese, and and we we go to. We, we go to church to be entertained and get tickets at the end. And I'm not kidding. The, some of the church growth strategies that, that are out there drive me crazy. Giving people stuff for coming to church. You want a TV just for coming to church. That's sending the wrong message. Counting coup, how many people have gotten into the church service and all that stuff. And, and churches with no windows, which terrify me. Um, primarily because I'm, I'm one of those people that's very aware of the nature of gun violence. And the idea of having no egress kind of terrifies me. Um, now, granted, we have, we have people that are involved in making sure that that situation never happens. But, but I, I like the idea of open space. I like windows. Right? I like space. I don't like... I, I want you to be able to see. Because that way I can tell whether you're sleeping or not. But, but I want you to be able to see because I want to be able to see you. How many of you have ever been on a, a, dark, a dark room with stage lights? Can you, can you interact with people at all? You, you are complete. I, I just can't do that. But we have this obsession with the youth culture, man. It's all about the youth. It's all about the kids. It's all about the thing. And the reality is, to, to a certain extent, it's, we need to consider their desires and, and who they are. But the church is not composed of only one age group. Church is also not composed of all the people who only want songs written before 1800 played on organs. Right? Bless God. That was a beloved song. I was I was moved. The church is generational. It is it is cross generational. It is cross geography. It is cross language. That's one of the reasons why sometimes we sing songs in Spanish or we we interact with people um, in a way that that is linguistically a little bit different. Because the church is supposed to have a broad spectrum of people in it. Last time I checked, the Bible describes the church in the end times as containing every tribe and every nation and every language and, and people of all ages, all generations. It's also one of the reasons, by the way, that we don't segregate all of our ministries like a lot of churches do with this. This, this is for ages 2 through 3. This is ages 4 through 6. This is ages 4 through 9. This is male adults unmarried. This is female adults unmarried. This is male adults married. Male adults seniors, college career. You know what? We all need to be together. We need to worship together. So, 
so far three things, right? Uh, Peter chose who would be his brother. He understood that we were chosen together. And he saw that it was generational. He includes Mark, his son. Right? He calls him my son, not his biological son, but calls him my son. So he has brothers and he has sons and he has relationships that cross gender. He's writing to people that are far away, so it crosses geography. Um, and Paul and Peter could not be more different personalities. In fact, the, the, one of the only recorded events that we have of the two of them talking is they argue in the book of Galatians. And yet they're all brothers. In fact, in 2 Peter, Peter actually writes, he says, um, and some of you... Uh, I don't, the, the exact quote is worth, is worth getting. Um, he says, uh, count the patience of the Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom he has given, as he does in all his letters when he speaks on these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand. He kind of is like, you know, Paul also wrote about this, but I don't know about you, I didn't understand a word he said. All right. So, so uh, Peter, he crosses all of these barriers and boundaries as he describes the church. And then he says in verse 14, this last little bit, he says, greet one another with the kiss of love. Now this word, kiss, all right, uh, philema, uh, it only appears seven times in the scriptures. It is always, it's always used this way. It comes from the Greek word philos, which means love. Um, and it is the idea, the communication of the deepest level of non-sexual trust between two people. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, obviously, marriages have a much deeper physical component than any friendships are supposed to have. Okay? I think we can all agree to that. But the idea of kissing someone in the ancient world is a tremendous communication of trust. Uh, in order to understand that, you have to understand the nature of physical violence. Because the ancient world was a violent world. Our world is violent, but it, we, we, we see it on the news and everything. The, the ancient world was violent. When somebody wanted to rob you in the ancient world, they hit you with a club. Now, we don't often read about people. You didn't generally use edged weapons because edged weapons were expensive. Iron was very, very expensive in the ancient world. Um, and so it wasn't, it wasn't used, you know, just if you could hit somebody with a stick rather than hit them with a blade, you would do that. Um, and so you're walking along down the street of Rome and somebody comes out of a dark alley and clubs you on the back of the head, right? Steals your money purse, steals your clothes, steals your sandals, whatever they're going to steal. Um, and, and then you wake up with a concussion and you're poor because there are no bank accounts. So whatever money you had, you were carrying on your person. Um, this, actually, if you read the story of the Good Samaritan and understand what's going on there, you'll see that, that component of that. So, when you greet somebody with the kiss of love, philema agapos, agapis, that is allowing someone into your personal space so close that if they wanted to, they could, they could club you over the head, choke you, do whatever they wanted to do to you. Because I don't know if you've ever noticed, but kissing from long distance doesn't work. All right? The nature of the kiss of the, the kiss of love, the nature of the kiss of love as we understand it was, and it, this was something that men did 
Um, and I know this is going to gross you guys out, but men would kiss each other on the lips in the ancient world. That's the way that it worked. Ew. Um, but, uh, but that was the way it worked. And you would, you would position yourselves next to one another, kind of like, like a man hug, but, but facing one another. And you would kiss each other on either cheek, and then you would kiss each other on the lips. And when you did it, you would hold each other. You would hold each other's shoulders. So you were literally physically so close that you could choke each other. You could kill each other. Why is this so significant in the church? Why is this so extraordinary that Peter has to mention it? Because the relationships, the friendships of the church are supposed to be at such a deep level of trust that you're willing to allow someone close enough to kill you. Now let's be honest in our modern world. We are terrified of that notion. We are terrified of people finding out who we really are. Because if they find out who I really am, A, will they still like me? Probably not. B, will they try to change me? Because I've been trying to change myself and I haven't been able to do it. C, um, what if they tell other people about who I am? Yet the church is meant to be characterized seven times by the kiss of love. I can't help but think that in Peter's mind when he uses this term, there's one kiss that resonates. Judas kissed Jesus. Jesus, knowing that Judas was going to betray him, allowed Judas to kiss him. And by the way, that means that when Judas came in to kiss him, Jesus kissed him back. I think, by the way, I think that's actually the extraordinary moment when Judas realized what he had done. When Jesus allowed him in. Um, How extraordinary would the church be if it was such a safe network of relationships that who I really am, I could trust those people in the church with who I really am. Not necessarily everybody, right? And certainly not only the pastor. I've got my own issues, okay? But if we, if we could have relationships in the church that run at a level so deep that we are able to put off, take off all the guards and protections and be raw and vulnerable to one another, not necessarily in the worship service, that's not where it needs to happen. The church doesn't just happen when we're all together. It happens when two or three of us are gathered. How extraordinary would it be to have relationships with other human beings who are struggling to follow Jesus that were so deep that the only thing between you was the whisper of the Holy Spirit? You say, is that an idealized concept? Of course. Everything Jesus wanted us to do was an ideal. But we can still work toward that. We can work toward it in our marriages, which I will say, by the way, your your relationships with others should never exceed your relationship with your, your marriage partner. But there should be friendships. There should be relationships that run so deep that the kiss of love is not a kiss of hypocrisy, but a kiss of true trust. That when we are so close to one another that the other hand isn't on the concealed weapon just in case that we're willing to embrace with both hands all the way in.
Because the church needs those kind of relationships in order to survive and grow. The depth of conviction should run to the depth of relationship in the church. The reality in the American church is that, and, and I'm not saying about this about Bedford Road necessarily, uh, but the reality of the American church is all too often we keep everybody at arm's distance because we're afraid of what? We're afraid to be hurt. I can't take another hurt. I can't take another wound. I can't take another damaging relationship. I, I, I don't want that. And so, so I keep everybody at a distance. I sit in my own space. I make sure there's, there's emotionally a chair between me and everybody else. But God calls us onto this journey together. We're not a bunch, here's my big idea. We are not a bunch of I's and me's. We are one us. We are one us. And our congregation will be stronger in its mission as we are stronger in our relationship to Jesus Christ and one another. And, and men and women will find new growth and new life through Jesus Christ when we expose and open ourselves to the transformative power of friendships that form a church. A church does not make relationships. Relationships make a church. Trust makes a church. The kiss of love. I am not. If anybody at the end of the service tries to kiss me, you will discover the power of Ike Locks. Alright? However, that depth of relationship needs to exist. That depth of commitment, that depth of trust. Somebody one time said to me, you know, you are way too transparent. You tell people way too much what's going on in your mind. Now, first of all, that has to do with whatever's in my head. It comes out. But the second thing is, maybe the, the reality is we have become too concerned about how other people perceive us instead of being who we are as Jesus transforms us. We are not a collection of eyes and me's, we are one church. We have been called and chosen by God to be in this moment at this time with this group of people and each one of us is strengthened by our relationships with each other in Jesus Christ. Would you join me in a word of prayer? Father, help us to be one. Jesus prayed to you that his disciples would be one as you and, and he were one. Help us to be one. Help us to know the unifying power of the work of Jesus Christ in our lives. Help us not to judge, but to to correct, to love, to strengthen, to encourage, to, to drive to greater accomplishment and task. Give us the spirit to be able to receive those things from one another and give them to one another. Help us to trust. Help us to 
devote ourselves to ministry to one another and to our community around us. Father, give us the depth of relationship that defines the church. Renewing it every day and taking it deeper. Lord, help us to see what we need to do or build or, or say or create in order to do, make that happen. And when it happens, we know that all the glory will go to you because our desire as human beings are very selfish. We know that only you can bring us together as a church of friends. So we lift ourselves up to you as an offering to be received and renewed and given back. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord.